podcast, All Hands on Deck. Today we're talking about deck builders, and our in-depth review is going to be the poignantly timed anachrony as the Kickstarters for the big boxes have been fulfilled. Joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome everyone and happy Easter. Oh yes, happy Easter. Though it's a little different this year with not being still able to, uh, yet able to to see people, but uh, spring is in full bloom and flowers are coming out everywhere, demanding attention, uh, which distracts me from from my need as as uh, gaming. Um, <laughs> but but it's nice to finally have some some nice weather. We would like to play outside, but playing outside tends to be a disaster in even in the best of weather. So uh, I have always felt that pull between my my desire for good weather and I'm not doing much about it <laughs> no but I like I like going out how have you been good lots of uh exciting news on the horizon as far as like getting more vaccine through my company we are hopeful that we will be getting the vaccine at our store soon so um that's good. Yeah, I'm very yeah, I'm very hopeful. At first I was overwhelmed because I was like, oh, it's too much, you know, it's a lot of pressure and to do all that, but um I'm excited to be able to help the community and and get everybody that wants to a vaccine because there are still so many people that, you know, want the vaccine but don't have it yet. So like your stroke. It's exciting. <laughs> But on the bright side, a lot of, of our friends uh, have uh, started getting vaccinated. I got managed to see you. I kept seeing uh, Rachel and Ryan, which I was seeing anyhow, but uh, because they were in a bubble, but now they are also vaccinated. So uh, things mm-hmm. are getting more stable. And we got to play a lot of games. Yes. So we should jump right into games that we would like to talk about because I have four. Okay. Why don't you start us off then? <laughs> All right, so I am very curious, now that you've had some time to marinate on the ideas of these games, what you think about, firstly, On Mars. Okay, so uh, when you came over, On Mars was one of the ones that I I wanted to try. I was a little wary of playing it with three after hearing that the solo mode took four hours and the (laughs) two-player mode took three and hours and 40 minutes although i should have been positive since uh the board player seems to take less time um so first of all as a first impression it was a uh, very very nice it's it's incredibly uh beautiful as uh, i know that for you everything that yano tool uh, touches is is beautiful to me mm-hmm. it doesn't always succeed meaning his art is always nice but sometimes the way it's integrated in the design I love this is instead very very beautiful. I got a little worried when um, the explanation and you were very radio for it. We were doing things right, setting things up, but it still took over an hour and fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. which to me was a big barrier of entry. And the gameplay, and here we come to Lacerta, uh, which I'm not the greatest fan of. Um, mm-hmm. It comes back to the problem that I had with other games of his. They are good games. Uh, I enjoy the mechanism. They work. Everything fits together well. But there seemed to be a lot of a lot of complexity for 
adapt that is comparable to other games that I like with, with less complexity. Um, mm-hmm. Meaning that it's not that it's a shallow game by any mean, um, but it doesn't give me... For example, we were talking about brain burners. This would certainly be a brain burner. You have a lot of, to do, but I get the same satisfaction from a Lorenzo, a Tolkien, a Tecano, and all of that, and I can teach those in 20 minutes and play them in an hour and a half. There are also some some of the things that make it very thematic, that make it also frustrating, the moving back and forth from the orbit to Mars, that's great uh, on a thematic level. But as Anna, I think, uh, quipped when we were done uh, explaining and a couple of time afterwards, okay, uh, you explained it, you explained it very well, I get what it is about, it sounds like a fascinating mechanism, and I don't know I need to play it. Uh, <laughs> I was actually glad we played it because after all of the expectation. But yeah, it's not a game I will be returning to anytime soon. Okay. Yeah, I it's I really like it. I I think that as you play more, the the strategies become more apparent and then the the areas of, that you need to focus on become more apparent because it's super overwhelming to for your first game especially it has so many different options like are you going to start on on the surface of mars or are you going to start in orbit or um what kind of action are you going to take for your first turn what you know there's so so many different things and clearly there's a lot of different pathways to victory because you never got any text you never you never left the surface of Mars. I don't think at all. Nope. Never took the so, shuttle. I was afraid of flying. <laughs> so you just, you used all of our techs, which gave us bumps, but I mean, you didn't have to go and waste time to go to Mars to or to the orbit to get those. So it was interesting to me to see, like, because we, we all had very vastly different gameplays. Yes, and that's certainly... I certainly didn't feel constricted, right? Actually, there were often many different actions that I wanted to take. The deck builder, uh, so deck builder, the um, worker placement works in a smart way, meaning it's not completely exclusionary, but it raises the cost, but it's a cost that you can recoup quite easily. Um, mm-hmm. But that also shows a little bit of how, okay, there are all of these rules, all about the, the technology that you can do a little bit without and that felt like yay and at some point on one hand i tried to see uh, there was a a, in each game you have a specific specific things that reward you with the crystals that allow you to to take quick side actions and i built my tableau of side actions obviously to be able not to go to orbit so it's not that it just happened that's true but at the same time is not that I decided that I had to to try and win it without going to orbit, right? It just became possible. And so having all of these rules, all of these things, and the, when you move to, to Mars from the orbit, you get a little bit of a bonus, but it's not a bonus. It's a thing that you put on the map and you put it away from you. And then you have to move. And it's it's a little bit much one thing that i like was that it wasn't too long 
uh, I was expecting it to be too too long. I was whole viewing that would have gone over like four hours, um, mm-hmm. while it cl- uh, clocked in at two hours and twenty minutes, mm-hmm. which compared to the explanation time becomes like a big investment in explanation and setup. But it also means that if I wanted to play it again, I I know I could fit it in a in a in a day, um, and I'm not. 100% sure that I will never play it again, but is mm. it looked is one of those games that looks so nice that I already started thinking, okay, well, if I like it, where can I, where can I get it? I need to go to eBay and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't didn't happen. So that was on Mars from Vital Lacerda from artist Ian O'Toole and publisher Eagle Griffin Games. I played uh, a game called Docmus, D-O-K-M-U-S, by Miko Punacchialio for uh, Lautopelit. It's a, a special game, so not my usual uh, forte, in which you are, thematically, you are exploring a mystical island, but in practical terms, you are placing little pieces on a grid that represents the island, and each you're placing in, in a connected sequence. Each turn, you have three pieces to place or sacrifice. And uh, the one thing that is kind of thematic is that the map represents woods and mountains and volcanoes, and each thing works differently. Like in a plane, you simply put a piece. Uh, in, a mount- in a forest, when you enter the forest, you have to sacrifice a piece. And on a mountain, you cannot go. And on a volcano, you can go through, but then your piece will die. And you're expanding and connecting, so you're not always connected. Sometimes you move, you can move across water by sacrificing a piece and things like that. And you're trying to get to scoring points on, on the board. Uh, you want to be next to uh, to temples, and you want to be next to big temples, and you want to be next to temples on different tiles, because that's the other part. On your turn, you also select one of five guardians, basically these gods or uh, spirits of the land that allow you to modify the map quite significantly. Uh, one lets you move one of your spaces one one step, and that's minor but very useful because it can get you in a position where you c- wouldn't be otherwise. But others let you um, twist, turn one of the, of the map tiles, another one lets you slide one of them in the middle, I had played it a long time ago. I got it in a trade um, with an expansion that we didn't use. And I liked it. I liked it quite a bit for a special game. I usually don't don't love them. This was, though, very clean and had very specific rules. So now the, the speciality worked and was very clear. But the, the other players I was playing with were not enthralled by by it, I think that one one of the problems was that is one of those games where if you don't know what you're doing, you can very likely mess it up for for no reason. I still not being very good at at um, at spatial placement came in in a solid solid third place out of four without any interaction with with this, but vice versa, the player who, was, who ended up fourth at one point took a move just saying, well, I don't know, I will twist that. And that caused a seismic change in the two players that were vying for the lead. And they can <laughs> understand that that can leave, that, that left both of them not particularly. Was, was that Rachel? Yes. 
So that sounds like a thing that Rachel would do. Yeah, also Rachel is famously bad with maps, so she was disoriented with with this. Um, But (laughs) the point was she was trying to get a few points to catch me, and so she didn't look at the bigger picture. And so that made both Anna and Raya very, very frustrated. I don't remember one, I think, Anna, but they were both... Okay, sure, but if you had done that, I I could have lost, and so they yeah. felt like it was more. It, it's a game that is all about being very precise, right? There is no events, no rolling dice, no attacking, no team, mm-hmm. and then the fact that sure you turn this, but also every in, in Rachel's defense, every time you do one of these actions. You change so many things. You change where your pieces are, what you're adjacent to, what tile you're adjacent to, the alignment of the woods and the the seaside and whatever. That unless you want to take half an hour for each move and play for eleven hours, uh, you you really cannot plan everything that is not you. And so, mm-hmm. in other games, I I say, well, players should be paying attention to what happens to other players here. I think it is a little bit the flaw of the game. On the bright side, it lasts like 45 minutes with four. So it's a quick, quick paced thing. So I I actually liked it. It's probably going to, to leave my collection um, because of the tepid reaction. Uh, mm-hmm. But I liked it. I would like to play that. I like spatial games and I feel like I don't play as many mm-hmm. because um, when I play with you guys, especially you, you in particular are not a fan so i would like to play this i think you would like it because it's uh, it's very clean it feels um feels a little bit we've talked a lot about logic puzzle here there is no logic puzzle to solve but this thing that you're placing in a grid and spending exactly the resource and trying to find the most efficient path and uh, there is also a cost involved for everything. Uh, it feels a little bit like feeling a Sudoku from, from time to time and things like that. And, okay. and I think you like it. So that was Darkness, mm-hmm. which is from Miko <laughs> Puncalio. Punacalio. Punacalio uh, from artist Marku Lane and Sami Saramaki. Sami Saramaki, and published by Renegade Game Studios. The next one I would like to talk about is Bonfire. Woohoo! So, Bonfire, which is from Pegasus Spiel, from Steffenfeld and artist Dennis Lohausen. So, I would like to hear your comparison between Bonfire and the Oracle of Delphi. Okay, uh, so this came out up uh, even when we were we were playing it. And you and Anna both both uh, reminded me of that. I must say that I don't see the the comparison. I mean, in both games you are trying to do things, but that's true of a lot of of stuff. But what makes uh, the Oracle of Delphi unique, in my opinion, in um, in Fels panorama but in general is the fact that it's strictly a race things don't give points everything is worth one point if you if you will and you have to do everything to win um, yeah. bonfire 
sure the end is triggered by the completion completion of certain tasks and certain tasks give you things but a you will do very different things than your opponent something that is radically different than oracle of delphi and mm -hmm. b everything that you do gives you a certain amount of points and you can do easy things to get few points multiple times or you do big things to get big points things interlock and give you points for having done other things so while they are both stefan felt games that ask you to complete certain tasks i feel that bonfire which i liked by the way uh, is another game that we tried and i liked quite enjoyed and we already bought it so uh it's, it's a full full endorsement it was more in line with the more traditional um felt which i think in, in is reflected by the fact that uh, it has a way less backlash oracle of delphi got a lot of backlash from a lot of uh, stefan felt fans as it is every time he tries to go a little out of his schemes uh, even merlin at first got got that reaction rialto got that reaction everything that was not a lot of little interlocking mini games this goes back a little bit to the mini games although it is integrated it's not a treasure um to me this uh, shot at uh, tier three is possibly tier two uh, i have a very complicated multi-layered system for for my integration <laughs> of, of feld um so in the game you are the theme is immaterial you are gnomes who are trying to build bonfires but nothing that you do in the game is practically connected to the team you move a piece to collect tasks from islands and then you uh, use uh, the bonfire basically for a rondelle to to get your your stuff that you need to do it, it it's it's basically a uh, you have a menu of actions that they all contribute in different way to what you're doing you are uh, collecting this task trying to position them and build the positioning for them on your personal board getting a little cards that help you with either ongoing powers or end game bonuses and you you don't build an engine so much i don't think you have a couple of things with the cards but mostly you are trying to maximize one or two directions you cannot do everything with just one direction you need to to follow a few of the many strategies i think there are like seven or eight avenues to score big points and you i think mm -hmm. you need two or three um i didn't i didn't do well but i think the game clicked with me i i understood the game i, I made mistakes but it wasn't a game that a is certainly not it was a matter of uh, randomness it i i I know what I should have done differently. It was very clear. It was uh, a Leon. Um, I'm still a little frustrated by the by the positionality. There is basically you're building a tableau in the mid, um, a grid in the middle with certain tokens, and lining them up is. I mean, you don't do it that much in the game, so it's not a, a big part of the game time wise. But you need to do it right, and next time I will spend my time trying to figure out how to how to place them. Um, but I really like it. It was it was probably nothing earth shattering. There was nothing that made me go, "Oh, this is so clever, so interesting." You collect mm. token to take actions, and you that's very similar to collecting cards doing that action in in a lot of his games. Um, but but it came together very well. The components are very nice. Uh, who publishes this? Pegasus? 
yeah um originally yeah and uh, it's it's looks like a, an old style new euro so it's not one of those like castle of burgundy that look old but it doesn't look like a, a dwellings of everdale or an on mars is a very a good felt visually is on par with i think aquasphere maybe not merlin merlin has a little bit more but uh, oracle of delphi all of those good nice colored solid euro uh, i liked it uh, Playtime was great. Turn uh, pace was was great. I I really really enjoyed it. I really like this game. I it was fun to play it with another person versus the solo mode because the solo mode is very it's it highlights the race. It makes it feel more like Oracle of Delphi mm-hmm. because. The other, the um, bot that you're playing against basically just takes free actions. And the longer you let them do that, the more points they're accumulating. Uh, so it felt, it, when I was playing the solo game, it was it felt very much like a race. Like I had to like get as much done as possible quickly and end it, um, which I failed to do. But um, that is not, <laughs> that is not the point. Um, I really like this game because it it does have a blend of like you were saying the the newer a little bit of the newer feld with a little bit of the older feld um so it feels it feels very comfortable as far as like that the way that the gameplay goes uh with a little bit of new newer things added in so i really like it i think you didn't mention the Baby Yodas, so uh, I guess I have to. There are also Baby Yodas, <laughs> which are adorable little meeples that are goblins or elves or gnomes. That's there. And they, um, it's fun that they're like little, a little bit of a different take on a standard meeple, which is small, you know, like it's something, but it, I appreciate it the the detail of that so yeah I, I think that custom meeples go a long way even if it's just a little detail to make the game feel like okay this is not just meeples from somewhere right these were made for this game um, yeah and i think that also ties to one of the most interesting uh, thing in the game the game doesn't play a fixed number of turns is not does not rely on a deck like bruges is not again fixed turns like most fells is not even number of completed things by a player like um, Oracle of Delphi, but mm-hmm. is a combination of when among all of us we have done a certain amount of stuff of the main goals of the game, then there is an end. The end is coming. We have up to five turns each. And I like that. That is another approach that I like, a variable trigger but that gives you time to complete something. So mm-hmm. it still matters. It's a difference when you had a moment where you had to decide, okay, do I want to finish it this turn, trigger the end this turn or not? But it's not one of those where, like it happened in Mars to, to both you and Anna, oh, the game is over. We have one turn and then we're, we're done. Mm-hmm. I, I really, really appreciate that too. I wanted to mention very quickly a game that we have talked about before, Merlin. So, dear listeners, uh, when Merlin the the big box came, uh, I was 
eagerly awaiting for my expansion, and Nathan showed up with this giant big box, uh, promising that um, I had uh, asked him to get it for me. I was fine. I got the big box, so we um, punched everything, prepared all of the big box to then find out that I was right. Uh, I only had the, uh, the expansion, so we uh, un, un, uh, punched and got it back because it was for another friend of, of his, Brian, that we mention often, a uh, friend of the show, so to speak. Uh, but in the meantime, I got to play once with, with these uh, two expansions, uh, Morgana and Arthur, the two expansions for, um, for Merlin. And I must say that Arthur, the expansion Arthur, fires on all cylinders for me. Uh, it For those of you who have not played Merlin, it's kind of a rondelle, but you move on this rondelle with your own piece uh, by rolling three dice, basically, and sequentially moving on the rondelle. So you have manipulation in how, in which order you use the dice. Then there is another character that is moved collectively, Merlin. Arthur adds yet another character moved collectively, on a different rondelle, adds a couple of final uh, objectives that you want to care about, uh, and in general opens up uh, what you can do quite quite nicely. It gives you more sense of accomplishment, it gives you one more die to care about, a couple of extra powers, and this other competition at the end, so it doubles up the end, turn, end of turn scoring without making things any more complicated than they need to be. Obviously, you have to learn the new action and you have to take care of this new die, but it's very clean. Morgana was the opposite. When I first learned the rules, it looked very, uh, very nice, but there were a bunch of problems. First, it almost doubled the playtime. Second, it... Uh, yikes. Sorry? I said yikes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because it one of the things it does is it can give you partial extra action, meaning that there are extra actions that have a cost, so they look very nice, but they are still partial extra actions. So what you do is you get the stuff to get the extra action, which are only partial extra action because you're getting back part of what you have paid to get them, but that adds turns and time, and you you want to activate it at the right time, so the other player also looks for the things to do more. Then there is a market, and the market is a good way to finish things. So it made the game more expensive, you can do more more things, but at the cost of playability. And we had decided to never play with it again. So it's very, very fortunate that it wasn't ours to keep. Um, and the, the big box, though, gets a great recommendation from me. They have game tray inserts. And while they're, as usual, not never needed, um, is, is not an acronym, right? It's a game that can you can bag. It has a lot of components, but still components that make sense um, to be bagged. But but those game trays are, are amazing. I like my big box. Love it. It's very nice. Um, another one that I wanted to talk about was Dwellings of Eldervale. And that was from Luke Laurie um, from lots of different artists. Not 10 artists. Wow. So... I have already discussed my love of this game, but this was your first playthrough of it. So how did you feel about it? I feel interviewed today. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, first of all, the impression in person, visually and component-wise, is even more 
more impactful than it already looked from the images. I had seen everything uh, online, uh, even of the super deluxe uh, edition that you have, but everything is incredibly nice. Again, the inserts, I had seen them, but seeing them in person is, they work so well. And the way the car design is organized and the art and the pieces. And when you were done explaining it, I was super excited. It was a little the opposite of Omar's, right? Uh, the explanation was a little shorter, but it's still a big game with a lot to, of explaining. But I was ready and, and charged and ready to go. And the things that I thought I would like, I really liked. Um, the fact that when you take back people, you can activate cards. So there is not that dead turn, uh, oh, I ran out of workers, what do I do now? And the way the little things that you can do build up to, to a bigger thing, like you are buying a card and moving up on the track, therefore now the track is worth point. And the card gives you some option, not earth shattering. It's not do whatever you want, but you have a little incremental bonus there. And you can make a unit into a dwelling. Now you don't have the unit anymore, but you have points now and you move up on this track for scoring at the end of the game. And they have different meeples that do different things. They are also shaped differently, and that's very nice. You can summon them, etc. My problem was that, to me, the mixture of Euro game and conflict game for this game did not work. Um, mm -hmm. It must be said that I was the only one at the, at the table. Uh, both you and Anna liked it um, and were fine with it. But... The game is purposely small. The, the board is built to be small and in your face because it's a worker placement, partially, or kind of. And so obviously if it were too big, that part would be lost. But that, compared with the fighting, at least in three players, felt um, really frustrating to me. I, I decide, and again, I did poorly, but it's not just that. For example, Docmus, I did poorly and it went very well. Uh, Bonfire, I came in dead last and it was great. This was frustrating. I decided to go with trying not to heavily fight and I, I couldn't be on the board. And to be uh, to activate the, the everything that is not fight related, you need to be able to take back your workers. My workers were not staying on the board. The only moments where I started getting a few points was when I decided, okay, now I will put all of my military might. I started building the things to have military might. Started fighting, and the fighting is quickly resolved. That was that was good. There is a very linear. You roll dice based on your units. You look for higher numbers, so you're not going through many rounds of fighting and playing cards. That works very well. But at that point, I basically started taking things away from you that in where, where that moment were not particularly strong military. I still couldn't touch Anna that built a strong military. And then uh, we had a couple of big battles where both Anna and I had maximized our, our fighting capabilities, which means rolling six dice, basically. And I lost both of those. And it felt really that if things had gone the other way, the game would have turned one battle in particular that was a swing of a ridiculous amount of points for both me and Anna. Uh, mm -hmm. And that that seems very tough, given that there was no, literally nothing we could have done in that, um, in that moment. Also, to 
add uh, insult to injury. Being that I couldn't be on the board, I tried to be by cards, but there is a limitation at the end that only lets you score three cards for each dwelling on your board, which I didn't forget about, but I was not able to build the dwellings because I was kicked out all the time. So even the little that I was doing on the side was disregarded by the game scoring. Uh, that felt really frustrating. I knew going in that was a risk when you have a game that resolves fighting with dice, but I hadn't foreseen how, how annoying that would be when coming to smash uh, any any structure. Like Anna also, the one time she lost a battle in the game, that, that derailed her turn, and that wasn't pleasant to see either. She was like, oh, now I need to do this and then that that to in three turns go back to where I was. Sure, that happened only once. So in the economy of the game, maybe it wasn't very meaningful. Mm. But even in that three turns, her experience was for three turns unsatisfactory. Uh, and not necessarily by by a mistake. Uh like you and I had a couple of battles where you roll five dice, I roll four, or vice versa. And sure you could add one die but you have no guarantee that that will do anything right and so yeah that that unfortunately is a pass for me i think it works better at higher player counts because the board, think the board is bigger you get more things more hexes out mm-hmm. and you play with more of the different um factions the f- different colors so it's more spread out and you have more more tracks yeah but again you don't you still are limited to how many you get by the like little pieces so you have to pick which ones you want to go for but i think that was a problem too is that you and anna were going for the exact same tracks (laughs) and i was left to my own devices to just go up to the top of one of the tracks um, yeah, and I mean, it's it's a game that is getting rave reviews, so I'm sure that there is not only a lot of people who like it, but there is um, a clear space that inhabits, and is the the space where you you don't mind that unpredictability in built into the game. I wonder if at that point I would like to have less over structure uh, with uh, getting the right resources to build all the cards. If what I have to do is occupy the map and send my dragon to fight and then my dragon gets me a resource when he comes off the map, then I would get rid of then what becomes the fat of the of the worker placement, which was the part that I like a lot, but it doesn't seem to be a game built for, for me in that sense. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I... I'm excited to play it more with trying the different factions. I think that was also a, a flaw in your first game was that your faction was not... You didn't particularly use the the power of your faction. So, And not, not because you, you didn't want to, but because it didn't really work with what you, what you were doing. Well, my ability said whenever you take three workers off the board, do a decent thing. And that couldn't happen. I use it once because 
and I was in the trying, first one. Yeah, I was well, when you cannot fight exactly. I was trying very hard to keep people on the board, stay away from fighting and only having. Then I tried instead. Okay, I will have a strong presence so I can have people, and both didn't work. But I think that's only part of the problem, right? Anna was under the impression when she saw me frustrated. Well, maybe my my faction is is too strong because. But I don't think that's the case. I think the factions are balanced for what the game is. For example, the big battles that I lost at the end, both of them. In one, I had six dice against five, and the other one, I had six versus six. So it wasn't I, I had the, the most or tied for the most. So it wasn't a matter of all oh, your units give you this a big advantage because you can maximize quite easily. I was losing so many units that I had all of the swords that I needed because whenever you lose a battle, you get a sword, basically an extra die to use later for each unit that you lost. So I don't think that that was a groundbreaking advantage, although it helped her, but that means using your ability well. But yeah, um, I think that your game also turned when you lost a battle tied with me, with your dragon. Yep. And and so, yep. so I can switch one or two of those five rolls, all just basically playing rolls. Because once you're rolling six dice versus six, the fact of however you resolve it is basically roll a die and whoever rolls the highest wins. And the fact that I, if I can change those three rolls, the scores, instead of being 90 to 60 to 50, become, I don't know, 50 to 70 to 80 and changing wins, that feels like a lot. On the bright side, it wasn't a long game. Yeah. So it's not like you play anachrony for three hours and then on a die roll, something is solved at the end. It played, I think, in an hour and 40 minutes. Maybe we crossed over two, but it felt quick. That wasn't the problem. The, the, the rhythm, it never felt long and boring and all of that. So if someone is not bothered by the idea of a little bit of rolling chance getting in the way of your, of your plans, uh, I think this is a very good game to explore. It has a lot of things to like, even on a mechanical level. Leaving, leaving aside the, well, undoubtedly fantastic production. I was really, really impressed by the production. So that was Dwellings of Eldervale. The last game I wanted to talk about was uh, Praga Kaput Regni from Vladimir Suchi, who is the designer also of Underwater Cities, which is one of my favorite games, from his uh, publishing company, Delicious Games. This one is has art by uh, Milan Vavron. And this game is very, very good. It is has a lot of interlocking components, and it has a lot of different paths to strategy. And surprisingly, even though... So you and Anna took a very direct route to getting things. I took this sort of roundabout way um, by getting technologies and um, going along the road and and doing all that. So I, my mind felt kind of a roundabout way to get similar things done. And I thought for sure that I was going to be like last by a lot. I still ended up being last, but... Um, this is definitely one of those games where 
having a play or two under your belt can make a huge difference because you kind of know what to expect. You know where things are. You know to get points and resources and things that you need. So I wasn't upset that I came in third because I did actually give a pretty good showing, if I do say so myself. So I really liked it. I thought that it, it was another one of those games where you feel like you need more actions to do more stuff, but then as the game progresses, you're like, oh, okay, so I have a couple actions I can do. I can do this, I can do this. So it it sort of snowballs into getting bigger turns, and, and my turns were not nearly as big as other people's, but it was still a very good very good game. I'm very excited to play it again. And it has so many different areas of focus that you can have that, I don't know, it just, it didn't overwhelm me with the amount of choices, but it didn't, I was never feeling like I completely locked out of something. How did you feel about the action selection mechanism, the rondelle with, with actions? Meh. <laughs> it just felt kind of meh. Like it wasn't it wasn't bad for sure. I think it felt overly complicated for what it is. I agree. I think that is touted to be more than it is. For example, you have all of these bonuses that connect to the actions, but you mostly usually go, okay, what actions can I do I need to take this? Does this bonus work yes and you take it uh, or or not it, it's really a fact of okay i need to for example i wanted to get a red special building i couldn't there wasn't a particular way to make it happen because the way they line up is depending on timing but i didn't yep. care enough to try and make it happen and then hope that someone else didn't take it turns later when it was expensive i just went Okay, here is an egg, here can get that, I will take this action, right? So it seems like there is not much planning that you can do with that, uh, compared to, for example, what in Underwater Cities you have the cards and you go, do I want to use this card now, or do I want to wait until there is a good action there? Here it was, mm -hmm. usually what I wanted to do is, I want to do this action or this action, what I may option, I prefer this bonus or this cost or this point, I will do that and be done with it. Mm -hmm. Which means that, yeah, maybe if there were only actions in a row and you just pay for what you want, uh, and so you still have the cycle without this complicated thing and the cube that determines when the turns change, that felt a little gimmicky to me too. But I really, really liked the game. I liked it even more on the second play. Yeah, I am excited to try out new strategies and I shied away from an area where you and Anna were like fighting for stuff. And um, I think that if I had gone into that even a little bit, I think I would have done better. So um, yeah, I think I am excited to try that again. And that was Praga Kaput Regni or Praga. <laughs> As we said last week. Yep. Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, I've played a few other things, but we also are 40 minutes into this thing and counting. So why don't we move forward to our our review for today, which is a game that we got to play. 
to yes. refresh our memories, but that I think we could have talked about even even blindly. And that's Anachrony by Mind Clash Game. Uh, is it Turzi? Who's the designer? Yes. Yep. David Turzi. We have mentioned it before, and it's one of those games where I feel that giving uh, a detailed overview would be at the same time, not a great idea and an, an overkill. Um, but to get the structure is a worker placement game in which in each turn you do a lot of pre-steps before interacting with the worker placement. You deal with paradoxes, basically, since it's a game about traveling in time, you can get loans from yourself in the future that you will have to repay. For all of those loans that are outstanding, you gain paradox that can trigger negative consequences that occupy spaces on your board. Uh, then you power up your workers. So the amount of worker placement action on the common board that you take will change every turn, depending on how many resources do you want to invest in that. And vice versa, if you send fewer, you already get immediately cash back, basically. Then you move to uh, the worker placement proper, and it's it has a lot of interlocking parts. So uh, you have suits, which are these worker placement options that you just powered up. And they can range in number from four to six at the beginning of the game, or from three to six at the beginning of the game, and up to four later in the game. Yeah, you invest resources. And then you have workers that you put in these power suits, which is also the visual clutch of the game. You put the little tile into this miniature and you send them to occupy the, the worker placement spaces, which are varied. They work in a very straightforward exclusionary way, but there are a couple of options of increasing cost for each uh, thing that you're trying to do. And your little workers, these tiles that you put into the miniatures have different characteristics. Engineers are good at building and at uh, digging for materials. Administrators are good at hiring new people. Scientists are good at getting science and getting water. And what you can do is uh, there is a mine that is its own um, worker placement space. There are three spaces in a three-player game. You get a resource that is determined by the space and the resource from a common pool. Um, Then there are three menus of actions, the research, the hiring, and the building that are two spaces each, but they are also subsumed under a wild action of which there are two. They are more expensive, but they are wild, so you can choose any of those three. And one of them also determines getting first player for next round, which is usually important. And these actions are building. When you build, you can build uh, from a display of four different colors of building. They are open to everyone, so it's first come, first served. You get that building by paying a fixed cost that is printed on your board, and they deal with traveling back in time. Uh, there are yellow buildings. You can activate them to, again, go solve those loans that we were talking about a moment ago. Materials building that give you points and materials by spending stuff and people. Water, which is a currency, is the cheap currency of the game, but you need a lot of it to do a lot of things. And so there are buildings that give you water and potentially points or other little bonuses. And finally, special buildings that can do a bunch of different things and they interact with with points mostly, but not exclusively. You can also build... Uh, special projects which require a com- they are very powerful 
their great uh, groundbreaking abilities like getting an extra free um, worker placement every turn or doing two worker placements in the same mini turn of yours. Um, but they require a lot of build up. You need to travel back in time to the right time. You need to have the the resources and the space on your board and to have science, which is the other action that you can do. You can get this science token. You roll the dice, but mostly you are collecting sets um, to, to build the right thing. And the main reason for that is to build these projects, but they also worth a nice FT points. They can be worth five uh, points for three of them at the end of the game. And finally, you have hiring, which is how you get new people. When you get new people, you get them from the display. There are, there are certain ones available. Depending on which you are, you also get a little immediate bonus. Then there are two more worker placement space that are not really worker placement because they are not competitive. And there are things like getting water or trading. So you do all of this. You also will be building an engine of buildings that are available only to you on your Tableau that you still take turns activating, but other people cannot interact with them. And finally, you have the management of your workers. With your workers, when they're done working, they go to sleep, and then you can either hydrate them to to, to awakeness. Uh, you can wake them up with water. I hope you're not drenching them in water because that's a nice option. You spend water, you get points, and they are all awake. Or you can be fast, not use an action, shock them awake, and their happiness goes down. And you do all of this multiple turns midway through the game. There is a drastic change that we'll probably talk about in a moment. And at the end of the game, you are completing a few end game objectives. And then you score basically for everything you have done. You score for not that, well, you score for having solved the loans, uh, the, 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 the time traveling. You score negative if you didn't solve them well multiple times. You score for your buildings. You score for your personal objectives. You score for having been nice to your people and not shocking them awake with electricity, which seems like a very reasonable point. Um, you score all of these things and you add up the points and you either win or lose the game. So I try to give a, a practical display, but what do you see as an overview on the feeling of the game? So I think that the the theme of it is very strong. I think that the mechanism of borrowing something from your future self is very innovative the way that it's integrated into the not only into the theme but also into different actions that are available to you meaning you need to build the building to get the time travel to go back in time to be able to have the opportunity to pay back that uh, loan that you've borrowed from yourself from the future. Um, I think that that is very well thought out and, um, I am a sucker for anything that is super thematic. Um, it doesn't matter what the theme is as long as it, it fits drastically into the theme. It could be, you know, making Kleenexes or something, but if it was super, super thematic, I'd be like, Oh my God. That's so thematic. <laughs> um, so I, I really like that. I feel like it's it gives you the feeling of this just very tense also sort of game because you are, you know that the uh, meteor is coming, that the asteroid is coming to 
wreak havoc on the board and trigger um, more quickly trigger the end of the game. So you know that that's happening. So you're like, okay, I gotta you know do all these things and make sure that I'm well set up. And it's it's a really good game. It's really solid. I think that the feeling is is very unique to this game. And I think you're absolutely right. I have read some comments here and there, even from people who like the game. They say, well, yeah, the, the, the time mechanics is basically alone, like in other games. And I even use that term. But I think there are a couple of things that make it very different. First, that the thing that you are repaying at the end is the same that you got. But what, let's say, the interest of the loan, if that were a loan, has nothing to do with it. Because I can borrow a worker, and then I'm getting paradoxes. I'm not getting less, fewer workers. And if I get water, I'm not repaying water. I'm repaying the same thing at the end, but it doesn't feel like a loan. It feels like something different. Obviously, you are traveling on a track, not back in time, but that's the game representation. It works very well. So people say, well, they just have loans. Well, that's not how loans work, right? Normally, if I get money, I need to get more money back. While here, what I need to repay is exactly the same and I don't really pay an, a penalty. I pay, I risk things. And also it's interesting that if you are causing more paradoxes than me, then I'm fine. And another thing that you mentioned, alone, I only get it because I want the things that it gives me. Here in this game, solving those loans gives you points. So mm-hmm. you want to do it. And to the point that I always, almost always forget that I need to, to get something, even when I don't need it, specifically to then basically establish a time continuum and getting a time continuity points. I think that that works very well. And I think that's one of the two main main hooks of the game. Um, one is definitely this. It draws attention. The fact that you need to travel back in time which is, yes, just a track, but you're constantly looking at the track. You're looking at what projects were they able to to conceive of in past times and going back to steal their ideas, basically, and building the buildings. And you are the other thing that you're caring about is these workers. And that's a main hook, not just visually, because there are these wonderful miniatures, but obviously it's how, how you perform the game. And I feel it's among the most competitive uh, worker placement spaces that I have experienced in that every turn I am constantly thinking, which action should I take first? The fact that there is more than one, but not many, there are not like seven for each, right? There are a couple for each, makes it so that I am constantly trying to second guess, especially with three players, that works perfectly. There are two buildings open. So if I want to secure a building, I can go there immediately. However, I need something else. Can I afford getting the mine, knowing that if Nathan and Dana want to go to the build, that means I get another mine, or I get first choice on a person and I can build next turn. That works very well, and I think that the board, the visual of the miniatures, and this tightness of the actions make for what I what I feel like when I think of, oh, I'm going to play an anachrony is that delicious uh, worker placement. There is a lot more. 
there are trades and there are the buildings with all their effects and there is the waking uh, awakening of the workers and there is the managing all of the the goals but i feel that what draws me to the game is that worker placement very competitive very tense yeah and then there are the two spots that are available to take any one of the three main actions not including the mine and though and those also seem to go rather quickly and then they also have the extra costs so it's like do you want to go quickly and and take those actions away from people or can you afford to get the to spend the water later on or will you even have the water or there's so much to consider that it it does make for a very tight worker placement experience and you already touched upon it, but I wanted to re reash. I completely agree on what you said on the theme. Time travel is a theme that I'm drawn to, but that often lets me down because often mm-hmm. they get into these very complex things and either that takes center stage and the rest of the game is not great, like in Chrono Corsairs, where sure, it makes much sense. It, you are actually redoing the same thing, but the rest of the game, it doesn't matter much. Or it gets a little confusing, like in time stories, which work very well as an experience, but the game part is not super strong. While here, Mm -hmm. they decide to scale it back a little bit. Yes, there are kind of loans and there is a track, but it makes a lot of sense. And I really feel like the theme comes together as much as in any other Euro, but with a theme that is way different than farming or building a factory you are traveling in time and saving your civilization and euro style but that works very well uh, the components i mean uh i i stand by what i was saying before that while individual components in uh, elders of uh, dwellings of elder vale might be even better but the togetherness of anachrony the design these clean white lines the great art the vibrant art of your personal um, faction factions that are different but also different from what you have seen before right in elder age sure there are different monsters and you have your meeples but there are a dragon a wizard a big griffin here last time i was playing the 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 water faction that has kind of octopus looking mechanical workers but they're not creatures of the sea they are machines and you can see that and the background and the graphic design of the thing it looks like what i think the first apple computers look when they came out compared to the time right when this came out now games with kickstarter are picking up but this is such a clean design it's both beautiful and extremely elegant and this is before getting to the giant monstrosity and of beauty, which is the infinity box. And on this, since I didn't <laughs> carry it, I don't deserve to talk about it. So I leave to you the experience of bringing the thing to a place. And, and it's amazing. So the infinity box is huge. Okay. It takes up almost a whole calyx, <laughs> but a whole calyx cube. And it, is filled with game trays and it is it has its own instruction manual to put things away and stack things up and it is intense it is its own 
its own experience. I really enjoy having it though. Like when I first had the just the plain game, it was very kind of haphazard in the box. I was looking for little different things to put different things in to try and make setup easier. I know um, someone had had a broken token insert and tried to use that, and it still just felt like there was so much setup. Like there was so much that needed to to get done because you're setting up buildings, you're setting up the different workers, you're setting up all the different resource cubes, you're setting up. So it's it's just lots and lots of components, which I love, but it was a little cumbersome when I had just the base game. And now with the Infinity Box, I have everything has its own individual spot. It's very clearly marked, like for setting up and putting away, like what things are there. And um, this was not paid for by the Infinity Box, <laughs> this endorsement of this. Um, but if you like this game and if you think that this game is for you, I would highly, highly, highly recommend the Infinity Box because it just really allows you to significantly decrease uh, setup and teardown time. And this game with so many beautiful components, you know, really kind of needs that when you have so many different things that you're setting up and, and tearing down. Yes, I I completely agree. It's it's a game that I think single-handedly changed my opinion on the Luxified components, meaning I have always cared for visuals. I have always felt that games are not just mechanical, like they're not just visual. I would never want to come back to a game that looks nice but isn't, doesn't play nice. But the opposite is also true. I, I have I have games that I consider ugly and I still play them, but I think that's a failure. I think that a game should also be a visual experience, like everything in life, aesthetics as a, a point. But the lax components were not there, right? I was thinking more of art, graphic design, things like that. Anacron, I think, was one of the first where Anacron, when it came out, you could get it with just the cardboard components. And then you could buy the upgrade separately for the, uh, what are called, the exosuits, the miniatures. Yep. And then they added special components and a little bit of things through the different iterations. And I think that that shows how, how the design of it, not just in terms of game design, but in terms of design visually, is enhancing the play. When when you open the, the trays, and yes, you, you now just open the box, take out the trays, and you're ready to play. And that's a big thing. But also visually, it's so... Everything flows, uh, and that enhances the gameplay, I think. And it was very good for me. So it's not only beautiful, but also something that feels like a good piece of uh, user-friendly design, which for a game this big and this involved, that's saying something, I think. And I think we need to give a moment to the exosuits, because the exosuits are really, really fun, even in and of themselves, like just seeing the exosuits and then you have the slot where the worker goes and you physically put the worker into the exosuit is so like satisfying for me for some reason, because it's like you're actually putting this like person into this exosuit and then sending them out on the board to do an action. And it's just fun. It's just 
there's no other way to describe it other than that it's such a fun component like integration so because you have the the worker and then you're putting them into the exosuit it's i just love it yeah i agree it's it's visually great two things that i will be i think the making and breaking of this review for me is pace and dark pace i think is where the game shines the i said it before this thing that you have a moment of pre-planning that is quick but relevant is not just refreshing things you have to choose what am i getting from the future and how many exosuits i'm powering up basing how mm-hmm. many resources do i want to invest in this thing and you do it knowing what other people are doing but not knowing exactly how the turn will go and then you send them to the board and sometimes you power up too many sometimes you power up too few the, then the rhythm of it is so good you go and it has, it has really analysis paralysis you go to a place and you resolve it and then i go and i hope that you don't take the action that i want and do i want to invest the two water to keep being first for example and things like that it has a very good pace um, and when you're done sure sometimes you have fewer actions than others but it happens maybe one turn in the game that you sit there for five minutes looking at other people doing stuff usually people get to the same thing and so it doesn't even have that problem. It's not a problem to me, but it's a problem to some people like um, Ruins of Arnak where you can look at someone else taking their turn a few times. This doesn't have it. You take an action and you are invested in what other people are doing because they might be taking your spot. And even if they don't take the spot, they might be taking the resource that you want. And you keep doing. And um, I I don't see any flaw with the, with the pace of this game. I think it's supremely well done the there are a few phases but they they flow very clearly they're very very nicely explained and they make sense i agree where i have a problem is with the arc i've said this before i said it to you i've said it on the show i think what prevents this from being a top 10 game for me an absolute top of most of the lists we do and things like that is how disappointing the game and can be especially to new players anna was not a new player she had played it before but once and she got really thrown off by how how things evolve um i have played it now not dozens of times but i played it i think 10 times or something and that's the game i feel comfortable with i would be able to teach that i don't need to be taught to play i know what mm-hmm. i'm going for i've tried different strategies i've tried different factions and still, so basically, midway through the game, a catastrophic event, the meteorite, happens in, in, in the story of the game. And that's very good on the thematic level. Uh, a rare mineral becomes more readily available. Um, you are now able to activate the, uh, the escape mechanism, which basically is a scoring mechanism where you need, you need the certain things to be completed and you can have other additional options and it's slightly competitive meaning everyone can escape but if you escape last you get fewer points so you have a balance of okay do i want to try and accumulate more points but if someone beats me to it then i'm wasting time and i'm rather beating them to it and also it takes a worker action so and that's fine that all of these things work very well the part that i don't like is that the idea is very good. So the world is getting destroyed. So there are opportunities to be taken, but the world is collapsing. So in practical terms, this means that worker placement actions 
get special powers, which is fantastic. This is, goes back to my passion for Vladimir Suchi and his combining the action with a special little bonus. However, when you take them, they flip and they are no longer to be taken. And the idea of how the rules describe it and how things should seem to work is that you slowly empty the board of these and when this is completely empty, the game ends. However, since these appear only on the main actions, there are basically six spots that have this, that almost often happens in one round. So it's like, okay, we have these final actions with some bonuses which we don't know in advance. And it's a lot of, this. does this work for me? And what makes that even worse is that in the rare cases when then that doesn't happen and one or two spots stay open, you then go through another entire round of the game just to deal with basically no worker uh, placement of, of any sort. Also, since you're reaching the end of the game, the middle action of the hiring become way less important. So there are basically four spots that everyone is vying for with usually 12 or 13 workers. So you do those four, you use the two special actions and all of the other workers just do things around the board. I think that um, as you said before, I'm very curious whether one of the many modules fixes or changes that in any way. That doesn't destroy the game, right? It's not a game that I get frustrated with and I go like, I'd rather, uh, I wish I hadn't played it. I, I keep coming back to Anachrony. I would play it again right away. Um, and so, but I think that what prevents me uh, from enjoying that pace being so good each turn, the arc of each turn being so good, but the arc of the game for me doesn't particularly work. I, first of all, I actually took the hiring action as my first action in the last game that we played. And that was because one of the end game bonuses was specific to having the most people. And so I think that that also plays into a factor is the end game bonuses like how can you work towards those in your final turns um i do agree that it can be a little weird with the the end game because of like you said if it goes on the second turn then really only one person or two people maybe can go to a location with an, an extra bonus and then what do you do with your extra powered up suits? Do you, you know, do you go for those or do you just say never mind and you keep all your workers back and use your individual buildings? Um, so yeah, there's a lot, a lot of different options there. I really, I, the I know that you have more of a problem with it than I do, but I I don't mind the the end. I do think it's a little weird. The thing that I still never wrap my head around is that even after you leave, you're still available to take actions. And I wish they had had called it something else. Because um, I think it's like evacuation or something is the action. Um, but it's not like on the board or anything. But in my mind, it's always that you're, you're leaving. You're done. But it's really that you're like prepared to leave and that you have everything together to leave. And I but then, have... like, yeah, like, what what does it mean, like, because everything else is so thematic, and so, like, it fits in, and it's very clear, 
that this is like kind of like, well, what am I do if I go to another turn, what am I still doing hanging around? Yeah, and I remember that confusing you when we first learned it, and it confused Anna this time. So it's not just a thematic disconnect. It's also you are building toward this this end goal. And it's not just meeting a goal. You're also accumulating as many things as you can. So the idea is definitely that you are ready to go. Oh, but wait, you can still play? So I can do it and then still take action. And almost every time I have seen someone play this for the first time, they get that confusion. And that has been being taught by three different people. I saw this. So it's not just the, the person explaining zooming in too much on the theme or anything like that it, it is it is a little a bit of a disconnect but i still think the game obviously works i know you have less of a problem with this ending than me but i still yeah. really like it so replayability and strategy so i feel like the replayability is very very high because you can build a whole strategy just off of the different buildings that come out um and those are different every time there's a, a big stack of them that come out, one is available, um, that comes down each turn, and um, then you see the the next one that's available. And so there's um, really two options available to you almost the entire game. So building a strategy around those is, is huge. The replayability of the different factions is very, very big also because they all play very differently. They not only have different player boards with different costs. You also have different leave conditions. You also have different leaders that you can choose that have different powers that affect how you play during the game. There's so many different things, so many different avenues, so many different options that I think you would be really hard pressed to try and repeat the exact same strategy in a game because you don't know what's coming out and what you know what other people are going to do because it is competitive worker placement so there's so much um and then the different super projects which i didn't even talk about there you know those all come out and those are huge and very expensive but very if you can get them going i know last game you did it makes you have a totally different spin on what your strategy is, what your trajectory is, what you're going for. So it's a huge, huge amount of variables that you cannot plan for. So I think that the replayability and and um, everything like that is very, 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 very high. One of probably the highest of games that I own. I agree. Um, I also think that I like very much how that's done, meaning that there are no... I mean, I appreciate that style too, but there are no like, let's play with a different set of buildings or let's play with different cards and different objectives, right? The game is the same and there are these all of these micro changes, like even the buildings. If you look at two buildings side by side, you might say, okay, for example, I had a building that gave me eight water immediately and another one that Anna got that gave her one water turn plus a little water when you got it. So they look similar, but all of these little changes, since you get five, six buildings and the super project and you go for a space, all of these things, and you are playing a different uh, faction with a different leader, each of these differences, maybe with the exception of the faction, 
are small differences from game to game. So it's not like, well, in this game, we're playing with this set of the map or that, that other track. Everything is there, but all of these micro changes, well, micro changes, the small changes accumulate to make a completely different experience. Um, and another thing that I like is that there are asymmetric factions, but they are not, again, mapped onto a specific strategy. You have to do a little bit of everything, whatever faction you are. For example, when you are the the faction that does science well, that they can choose the, the, the tile, sure, you have an easier time to build the super project, but you still need to build the buildings to travel back in time, get the resources, have the water to wake up your people. So it's not like you can go, well, I will do only super projects. Sure, but to do super projects, you need to do an, another bunch of stuff. My uh, tribe um, was very good with water. So sure, I got early on buildings that provided me with water, but I still had to decide, do I want to do a super project or do I want to focus on my end game scoring? And so this... I. I am slowly evolving my understanding of what I like in asymmetric factions. I don't like asymmetric factions that lead you strictly to one strategy. And these don't. Like I had played this, this one before, and I remember not traveling in time at all last time I used the water people. This time I was traveling. I finished with no paradoxes. I repaid my things. I built a, a thing. And that was the same exact strategy, uh, sorry, same exact faction, same exact player. I think even same exact leader because I like that leader a lot. And I think that makes for an incredibly replayable game even before putting in all of the modules that I know are there. And I think I tried only one once. And so that, that works very well. Designer and artist. So the designer... Is one that I pay always attention to, despite the fact that not all of his games I I like. So beside this, I think the only other game that I really like is the Kenu, which came out this year and is also by um, Tashini. So it's it's partially a reliable precedent. But a those two are two. I mean, it's not just, well, he has two, two games that I happen to not mind. Those are two big, solid hit. And second is expanding his range. Tawantin Suyu, for example, for me was not, not a great success. Is there anything else that you like? I know that you, you paid attention to Venice, that you were thinking of Perseverance like I did, but you also ended up not getting it, right? Tekenu, I love. You should try Dissettler. It seems like like something that could be up your your way. I played it once. It's kind of a very smart, very game, what is called space base or um, much okay. core, but 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 really uh, that wasn't bad. Uh, but I I that's like extra core. Oh yeah, I I do like that. I like it a lot. Um, it's. It's a very, it's area control, but it's, it's so much more. It has a lot of different layers to it. So, um, without getting too much into it, I, I just, I really like, I love area control games. Um, and so this had a fun little twist on it because you can't ever put things directly onto the board without taking specific actions for them. So it's, it's, 
a lot of fun. Plus you get to like be clouds and, and rain and, and, you know, control different weather aspects. And so it's a lot of, a lot of little fun things that really just kind of make me smile. So I like it a lot. And artist-wise, uh, Viljo Farkas, I think she's the the main artist for for Mind Clash games, but um, Laszlo Folgak has also worked on a few of the games. Peter Maslany has worked on this and on new Perseverance. They are basically the in-house uh, design of Mind Clash is what contributes to give Mind Clash their distinct but still cohesive visual feeling. You know it's a Mind Clash game when you see it, and you know it because they are exceptionally beautiful. So while they haven't done much else in the board gaming space, I think there are a group of artists that I don't know exactly who worked on what projects every time. I, I know that uh, she's the main, the main, the main artist for for their games, uh, video. Um, but but they do very very good work. I think it's uh, fantastic. So this has gone on. Uh, very long. I, I blabbed on a lot and it was hard to, to give justice to this giant game. But uh, what are our final thoughts and comparisons on, on this? So I think that this is an excellent game, probably within my top five. I would definitely recommend if you heard any part of our description or things that we were talking about that even mildly interests you, try this game out. If you like games that are thematic, give it a shot. If you like games that have stunning visual, like visual um, table presence, give it a shot. If you like mean games, <laughs> give it a shot, because this can be a very, very mean game. Um, I think there's a lot of different things for a lot of different players and a lot of different playing types that this even if it doesn't fire on all cylinders for you there will be parts of it that you will like so i really highly recommend this as far as comparisons go i don't think that i have any game that's really like this it's just it's so unique and so much fun that i can't wait for people to try it and tell me how great it is <laughs> I agree on all of that. I think it's uh, by far the most busy game that I like. I often say how I find certain euros having too many rules for the sake of too many rules. This instead, every rule has a meaning. It comes together very well. It's like a fine-tuned, very complex clockwork uh, mechanism. And I really like it. I'm also not... I know that Mind Clash, much like Stonemaier games, has dedicated fans. Like I have friends who are fans of Mind Clash games and they have all of their line. To me, the other games, they're all beautiful, but don't speak so much uh, to me. But this really sings. I think that the first time we played it, the reason I ended up not getting it was because Anand was not as enthused with it. Uh, now I think she is a little bit more on board, but you have everything, so I probably will still not get it and just play it with you also because it's so beautiful that it makes it expensive. But it is uh, a fantastic worker placement, a little more open than others, but still very competitive, very tense. And if you want to get as close to traveling in time as you can with the Euro, well, this 
travels to the future of board games, I think, because in terms of mechanism, theme, and components, it really leads leads the way. I really like an acronym. So um, we are running long today, but we (laughs) want to speak to our format. So before getting to the topic of the day, uh, all hands on deck and our deck builders, we wanted to mention things that we are interested in or looking for. Uh, and I'll I'll start this one because I'll start with uh, we have talked about this uh, via text, so you you know uh, my my point. But there is a game on Kickstarter right now that is a game that really um, draws my attention. But that I know if I get, I would never play it because, as I put it, usually people who play these games tend to be boring. That speaks loudly about me. It's uh, John Company uh, Second Edition. It's a game that. I, I need I feel the need to mention uh, because what the designer is trying to do is extremely interesting. The designer has written some uh, blogs and designer diaries that feel like academic pieces on colonialism. And while that's not my my main area of expertise, I, I inhabit that word of an academic reflection. They are very deep and very good. And I, if people have interest in that, you can find them on BGG. But the point is that is a big sprawling negotiation game about the East India Company. One thing that makes me curious is that he has as a goal of making people think about these things. I am not 100% sure that the game makes it because with all of his historical notes, then you get into a game and you are cajoling to get to the top of a big economic sprawling thing and getting stuff from India. But... At least it's nice to see designers that are aware of the fact that their team they are dealing with is not just uh, traveling in time, but there is exploitation involved and things like that. The game looks super interesting, super uh, historic, also super uh, busy and super negotiation heavy. So I know that I would never get to play it. So I'll stick to my rising sun and be happy with it. And I will save the $100 or whatever it is. But for people who have a group that is interested particularly in history. So basically, I think I'm calling you boring uh, if you like the game, and like me. So if you are among us boring people who, who look at that uh, historical experience as something worth really, really check out um, John Company. I don't know maybe when this uh, episode comes out, the Kisada might be over, but I'm not sure. So give it a, a try uh, well a try give it a look and and check it out it's by by uh, uh, verle who's uh, a successful very successful designer i probably butchered his last name uh, but john company what are you looking at you seem amused by my by my self-deprecating uh... so first of all boo to john company okay <laughs> Um, no, it it's it looks like a solid game, but it's just it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not in my comfort zone of of games. So, um, a game that I have pre ordered that is coming this week is Nedavalier. Mm-hmm. I think you will I don't like know it. If you've heard about it, yeah, I think you will like it a lot. I haven't played it, but I've seen a lot about it. I've played it online, um, so I know that I like it. And it is, it's very similar to like your treasure hunter, your meowy games that where you're bidding on different, um, different 
like sets of things and based on how much you bid that's you know what place you get or what um place you get to pick uh either you know if you get the highest bid you get first choice of what's there yeah i think it's a a pretty good game it has set collection it has uh, lots of different things that I really enjoy. So it's a little bit more complex than the titles that I mentioned, but still looks really good. So I'm excited for that. All right, that brings us to our topic of the day, which is deck building. What would you like to say about deck building? Other than you are getting cards into <laughs> a deck and you are making it, you're, so you're getting cards from a from one area and you're putting them into a personal deck and based on the cards that you select and purchase you are cultivating a deck for yourself to get better actions or um more actions or it it really varies as far as what what comes to mind when you're doing that but it does uh that is the the general standard right mm-hmm. yes i i think that deck building has become such a pervasive term and such a pervasive mechanism that it's hard to remember that 15 years ago they didn't exist so some people like to say that uh, they well they have always been around is what you do in uh, Netrunner, what you do in Magic, but the difference is that deck building means that thinking of what deck you want into the game, and it makes it so according to very specific rules. And to the point that when Dominion came out, I didn't try it because it felt very dry. When you describe it as you are choosing what cards to put in your deck and then running your deck. And that sounds like Oh, that's the boring part of a collectible card game is what you need to do before playing is the setup. It is basically this game setup. Um, And not only Dominion itself proved to be way more fun than I thought it would be, but also it, it has spawned a lot of other games that have taken that mechanism, integrated it, and expanded. And I think that the way deck building opens up gaming space is very interesting because A, it provides, you know it because it's me and I like it, an arc. You are starting with few things and then getting better and better, often trimming out the fat and getting leaner and more efficient or at least getting more interesting, sometimes more complex. So it has both a narrative arc but also a rule arc. You keep getting that. Second, it has built in it uh, variability. Uh, when people were starting discussing what will be in an expansion, then the expansion that they tease for Ruins of Arnak, some said just more cards of the same. And obviously, Dominion is the game probably with the most expansion ever close to. But at the same time, that builder allows you to get that complexity down because in Dominion, you only have 10 cards out. So, sure, there are 300 types of cards if you have everything but you only play with 10. So variability is immense, replayability is immense, but complexity is contained and is accessible. Sure, you can build cards that are more and more difficult, but to explain Dominion 
is extremely simple. So it's a game that has depth without overall complexity. And even when you have cards that are complex, sure, but you draw your hand and you're dealing with those cards. Sure, you have to know the others because you are building your deck, but you don't have, again, a big worker placement with a bunch of actions in front of you. You you are contained, and so it makes it more accessible. So while I think only one of uh, all of the deck builders that I have dealt with makes it near my, my top, um, but there are a lot that I totally enjoy, and I have liked seeing deck building used in other games uh, more and more. Anything else that you wanted to to touch on deck building in general, uh, or should we get into the ones we like and why? No, I think that what you you said though is very very true that it's accessible. Um, it's a it's a pretty simple concept for people, and so it is a a fairly easy concept to get people to wrap their head around. You know, I'm not going to sit down with someone and play Anachrony. <laughs> if they've never played a game where with worker placement or, you know, that kind of stuff before. But, you know, I wouldn't feel as bad sitting down and playing a game of Dominion with them. So, yeah. Let's get into our, our top... So any game that you don't like? Any deck builder that you don't like? Nothing really comes to mind. It's a it's a very I I really enjoy deck builders. Um, but as I was looking around through my collection, I'm like, I don't really own that many anymore. I that used to be my go-to. I used to have like I used to get at Gen Con every year, I would get the new Ascension that came out. And that has gone through so many iterations on so many different styles. They would change just one or two things about it and it would drastically change the gameplay. And I really enjoyed that every year. Um, However, now I'm looking for a little bit more meat in my games. And so those aren't nearly as satisfying as they used to be. So that's why they have not only um, they're making their way out of my collection, but they are, um, they're still solid games. I, I would never, you know, say, oh, I don't really want to play that. You know, I would still play them, but... For me, I mean, beside going to... There are so many deck builders that obviously I have some that I didn't like, but I see that there are a couple um, that are quite popular, actually. Tyrants of the Underdark being one and Sinoshift being another one, where I think the integration between the deck builder part and the other mechanism failed me. They are both games that I didn't like, that I rated very low, um, and not because of general badness. Like, um, for example, there is a game, uh, Velociraptor Cannibalism, which I rate a 2, but that's just an overall bad game. Tyrants of the Under is a game that I really didn't like, but for a specific reason, the way the board came together with the deck builder, which is something that I like a lot in certain games, but that when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. It throws me off of both. Um, I I think that hitting that balance is particularly tricky. And so um, those are the ones that I didn't like. Uh, I have chosen three for my for my favorites. How many do you have? Only three? Well, we, we, we used to do three. I can expand, but... Um, no, I'll do three. Okay. 
Do you want <laughs> you want to go or do you want me to go? Uh, you go first. Okay. I excluded back builders. I excluded uh, cooperative things. I, I went for looking for the, uh, really deck builders. And uh, my number three is Hero Realms uh, slash Star Realms. Uh, they both take that idea. There are two versions more or less of the same game. One is in space and they play it on the app. One is of fantasy and they play it in the cards. I slightly prefer Hero Realms for some of the rules, but Star Realms has more stuff. Um, so they both took an idea that came from a, a deck builder that I didn't particularly love, that was Ascension, which is instead of having your piles of cards, they have a middle row of cards that are all unique. And so you are competing for the cards that are there. And so it becomes more tactic rather than strategic. I really like it in its current form. It plays uh, from two to four. You can uh, have a very clean head-to-head one versus one or a bigger brawl. And one thing that it does is that it takes a deck builder and integrates it into a fighting game. So you are trying to kill your opponents. So you are building a deck that attacks, heals, draws, take cards away from opponents. Um, so it, in a way, it goes back to where Dominion came from, right? Those CCG and things like that. They are very simple cards. They're not as complex as Magic the Gathering, Lord... Um, uh, Star Wars, the card game, or anything like that, or Netrunner. But it is this idea of, I try to build my deck and to kill you faster than you do. Then, uh, And in four players, there is also a lot of, do I try to finish someone off or do I try to bring everyone down? They came out with uh, slightly asymmetric decks that are the characters in the game. I really like it. Yeah, it's a really solid game. I haven't played it in a while. Um, I only seem to play it with you guys, even though I own it. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I really like that game. Uh, my number three is going to be Moonrakers. Oh. I actually got to play it last week or so, and it was with two, which is not great, but um, I could tell that I really liked the, the mechanism of it, of the, the deck building aspect of it, because you have to buy specific... It, it has a really interesting twist on the deck building mechanism. So in order to add things to your deck, you have to buy ship parts. The ship parts give you bonuses and the bonuses don't, al- don't align with the cards that you're adding to your deck necessarily. So you have to get these little powers that you're, you're getting for upgrades for your ship. And by doing that, you get things to add into your deck which is very interesting to me because it is a, it is a whole game about alliances and negotiation and completing tasks and, and um, hiring crew members and all this stuff. So there's a lot of, of things going on, but I really thought that the way that they used the deck building was very smart and it felt very fresh, even as we were playing it with, you know, the smaller player count, I felt like it was very different um, and it felt, fresh in a genre that I feel like I had, I felt like I had seen, you know, all there was to be seen in the deck building, you know, genre, but the, the take on it, I, I can't say it enough is very, very fresh, very different. So do you have things on the board or just in your deck? What do you mean? Uh, sorry. So 
in Dominion, for example, everything you buy and do gets in your deck and you just play your deck. Same in uh, uh, Hero Realms. There are other games where you're also doing other stuff and building on, on your board or, or on your tableau, things that don't cycle through your deck and don't go in your deck. You mentioned ships and cards. Do they all go into a deck or do you also have a, a stable something? So the upgrades that you're building onto your ship stay out on the board. Um, and those those are upgrades that you have for the game. The all the other cards go through a deck, and it it is actually very Dominion style. Like you have cards that will just give you two more actions, cards that you will draw one and get an action, and you play it similarly with the like pyramid of actions slash you know taking the actions what have you. So that is. It, it has a very similar feel to it in that respect. Um, but yeah, no, it's really, it's it's interesting. I think you guys would like it, but I, I really don't want to play it at a low player count again. Mm-hmm. My number two is Thunderstone. In, specifically in its Thunderstone Advance, with a caveat, which is strange, uh, but I only like Thunderstone as much as I like it with the Epic Thunderstone variant, which at first was a variant concocted by, I think, Tom Vassell, the reviewer. He played like that and tried it, and then he made it into further editions of the game. I haven't tried Thunderstone Quest, which looks fantastic, but they have a lot of stuff for Thunderstone, and I don't want to look into a completely new edition that doesn't change everything. Um, but basically, Thunderstone is... A deck builder in which you do things again, not just a deck builder a la Dominion. You use your stuff to build up your party and your weapons and all of your equipment and magic, and then you use the that those cards to go into a dungeon and fight monsters. Thunderstone Epic variant, basically, instead of having neatly piles, neat piles like in Dominion, you have piles of categories. So you have piles of weapons and piles of magic and piles of heroes but you shuffle them all so that you cannot simply build redundancy in your game so you're trying to make things work but so does this sword work with this hero that i have in my deck but will it work with the other one will it work with the other one so it's less clean but that's where it's different and interesting uh it's it makes it least less uh less strategic but it lets you have uh, more variety. And I like the sense of purpose. It, it, it has very simple things that make sense. Like you can upgrade your heroes and in the Epic variant, you cannot buy higher level heroes. You have to uh, use the experience that you get killing monsters to, to raise it, to raise the level. And uh, strong heroes can use big weapons, but uh, wizards produce light to see in the dark. It works very well, and I really like Thunderstone, specifically Thunderstone Advance. I've never played it. Yes, you did. Oh, oh well, then I guess it didn't make a very lasting impression. Or, you or, it. or, it may be that I've just played so many games. It might be. I, I think I, I am not just making this up. I think I think you liked it. We haven't played it in three years. Um, it's oh, so well, yeah. I've played hundreds of games since yeah. then, so yeah. that would be the problem. <laughs> uh, okay, so my number two is Viscounts. 
of the West Kingdom. Oh, we consider it a uh, deck building now. Okay, okay, I see how it is. Is it not deck building? Sure, it has it has deck building in it. I I will. Well, allow I think it does. I mean, the, the whole thing is you you're getting the cards and the cards do specific things when you either play them or they slide off your board. So, but you go around and you have buildings and you have things and it's. Mm. But you can't do them without the the. The cards. Sure, you can do it. Do it. Cannot do it with without the rule book. But I wouldn't call it a technical manual. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, I. I, I I kid. I just decided to stay focused on on deck building. Although my my top game also includes deck building, <laughs> I'm just I'm so, just giving you a hard time. So, my council of the West Kingdom, uh, Shem Phillips. We've discussed this on the podcast already, but um, yeah, just as an, an overview, it's you're moving around a board, you're doing a lot of different things to get points. That's the most generic overview. <laughs> think I've ever given of a game um but it has a lot of different things and I really enjoy the the mechanism of the deck building because you have to be careful to not have too many skulls in your deck because then you can get negative points um negative things but it depends on what other people do so it's it's a little tactical um the deck building aspect of it so I think it's a solid, solid game. So, my Council of the West Kingdom. I really, really like my lonely game of it. I look forward to playing it more. Uh, I definitely agree that it's great. Um, I, I think it includes a lot of things. It would also be a, an engine building game, and it is a, mm-hmm. a tableau building game, and all of that. But uh, definitely, I like how the the tableau of cards is managed and all of that. So, before getting to my number one, I want to give a shout, shout out to Mage Knight. Um, Mage Knight is amongst the most highest rated deck builders and it is another game where deck builder is there but you're also doing a lot of hand management and doing a lot of other stuff that's why probably didn't make my list and also because it's incredibly long so I haven't played it in a while but I remember when I had fewer games and more free time and I played a lot of it uh, it was an incredible game and which I should probably revisit. I still have it. They say it's also very good solo, but I don't play much solo. But let's uh, get to to my number one. Uh, do you want to guess? Number one deck builder for Jackie. You said you took out things like Orleans. Yes, yes, which would probably be in the run if, if it were not. Um... I am mysterious. I don't know. You're, as we've discovered last time, your tastes on paper are very different than what I feel like the tastes are that you project into the world. I am secretive. So the game, my top... Uh, Lost that... or neck, final answer. No, but good, oh. good guess. It is Clank, a deck-building adventure. Oh, yeah specifically in its legacy incarnation, but even without it. Um, when I heard about uh, Clank, which is by uh, Paul Dan and Uza's, Uza's friend's friends, is a friend of Bob, 
And so he said, oh, my, my friend has this game. And he described it. It's a deck builder, but you have a board and you are running around the dungeon. It felt very gimmicky. And then I played it. I think Clank is, um, it's probably not super as accessible as Dominion. You you would probably not throw it on someone who has never played anything that is not Monopoly, but it's still very accessible, very simple. Um, you have your deck. Your deck gives you swords to five monsters, but mostly movement and money. You are building new cards in your, to your deck, and you're using those to move on a very simplified dungeon. They are connected rooms. Each room has a little rule usually, and you're trying to get deep into the dungeon, grab uh, something and run out. Uh, and everything is moved by the deck building. There are things on the board, but you cannot do anything without it. L not like Last Ruins of Arnak, where you can also spend your resources and send your worker and things like that. Everything you do is deck builder based. Um, it has this race element because once you grab something and you run out, uh, the other players have a limited amount of time in the basic game or and they might be killed by the dragon in the legacy game and the dragon is always a threat even if other people don't run out. So I really like it. I think uh, it also uses the role of offerings. So it seems that uh, not having a fixed amount of cards is something that resonates with me in, in deck builders and I really like it. The legacy version adds a lot of another level, but it would be unfair to evaluate it on that compared to other deck builders. But even in the basic version and with the expansions, I really like Clank. There are cards that do a few different things, but without getting into too complex, like in Dominion Prosperity or Dominion Seaside that has that have all of those weird cards that accumulate tokens and things like that. This stays straightforward, but they are very fun. I like it. It has this tongue-in-cheek uh, approach, but without getting into just a joke after another, like Munchkin. I really like Clank. Uh, I think the complete name is Clank, a deck-building adventure. Uh, it's by Paul Danner for Renegade Game Studios. And it is my favorite deck-builder. I really like Clank. Um, I also considered it for my favorite, um, but then I actually thought about the games that I would just play like that I would really like to play and it might be because I don't get to play this one as often but my number one is Super Motherload. <laughs> Super Motherload is from Roxley Games and uh, from Gavin Brown and Matt Tolman and you are uh, building a deck of different like pilots that that in turn will allow you to drill into the surface of this planet. I think it's Mars, actually. Um, drill into the, the surface of Mars and collect more resources, which in turn will let you buy more things. And you're completing objectives, small objectives, completing large objectives. You're also getting um, these little things that are skulls that are, I don't remember what they're called, but they're basically like one-time bonuses that you can collect. And when you've collected all of them off of the current board, a new board comes out and you're, di you're digging deeper and deeper into the surface. Um, I really like the, I, I guess I like games where the deck building has a little bit of a twist on it. I don't really like the standard deck building. This deck building, you have to 
buy the cards by getting the resources and then you put the resources onto the cards and then when you've exceeded their cost in resources then you get that card and you get it into your deck so i really like that game um i haven't played it in a while and it's it is one of my favorites because it's just it's fun to like i i like the spatial element of it um having to dig and having to figure out what you want to do so i really like that game so I like that with all of your passion for mining in space, this and you have been eaten and on Mars and all of that. When the new, what is called the Red Seven or whatever, it's the new Stonemaier game. What is it called? Oh, Rising. Uh, Red, Red Rising? Red Rising. So the, the premise of that is that the oppressed class are space miners. So you will basically be, well, they should have just kept mining. I love that. Um, but <laughs> anyhow, I think that these these six games and you haven't you haven't gotten Clank Legacy yet, right? Or two Clank Legacy yet. We we've played one game of it, and okay. I think we made error. error. <laughs> we made uh, uh, questionable decisions in the game that we played. So we'll see how that turns out. I think that that will also re- revamp your passion for Clank. That's the only thing. I never bought Clank. Then I got Clank Legacy. I loved it. I played through it. And now everyone I want to play with is rightly interested in the Legacy version. So you, uh, Ryan, Bob. And so I have no... I, I I never get to play it with anyone because anyone, everyone is waiting not to be spoiled. But yeah, I think that the variety of games that we we discuss shows how how various the the theme is and it wasn't an easy narrowing down i had another four or five that could have been in the run um i even snuck in a mage knight with that uh, special mansion and i didn't think of that when i thought okay deck builders i knew thunderson was there and and then I went through my list of deck builders I went oh there is a lot a lot of like even without going to Things in which deck building is important, like uh, Viscount or with Blood Bowl Team Manager, where they play an important part of the game. Even just think with almost pure deck builders, that would have been a lot. As usual, we have uh, pushed the, the two hours. We will uh, probably clock in slightly under it once this is edited. But it has been a pleasure. Thank you um, for listening. Um, um, I I leave it to you. So we are still a fairly new podcast on the scene. We would really appreciate any sort of comments, liking, subscribing, sharing with friends. And um, you can find us on social media, on Borking Gambit, on either Facebook or Instagram are our two main places where we see all of that interaction. Um, so we would really appreciate any sort of thing like that. Um, we are thinking about doing a giveaway um, in the future, so stay tuned. Check out the different social media sites for that. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the people who have reached out. Joining or um, ending this, as always, <laughs> is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.